one of the all-time favorite shows. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Because You're Home. So we are at the start of May and what better time than to celebrate the May Queen. And my Quan. Yes, my Quan and all the who sail with her. Um, So I just decided to, because it's the side of this part of the podcast that I love, it's the research. Um, So I've looked into the mythology of the May Queen. So the May Queen is also known as the Maiden, the Goddess of Spring, Flower Bride, Queen of the Fairies and Lady of the Flowers. Um, The May Queen, (laughs) Lady of the Flowers. (laughs) (laughs) I just can imagine somebody on a knife being the Lady of my Flowers. Oh yeah. Jesus, which be my Lady of the Flowers. Oh my God, I can't wait to hear that being said to me when we finally get back out there. It's so tantalizingly close. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I can taste it. I can feel the stickiness of the microflora. Yeah. Um, So the May Queen is a symbol of the stillness of nature around which everything revolves. She stands for purity, strength, and the potential for growth as the plants grow in May. She is one of the many personifications of energy of the earth. Some folklorists have drawn parallels between her and Maya, the Roman goddess of springtime, of growth and increase, whose very name may be the root of May. So Maya, May kind of thing. And I read there was a whole lot between Greek and, and Roman folklore tales about the goddess and stuff to do with like the May Queen and parades and dances and it's like a, their version of the maple there was so much I was like oh do you know what I'm gonna only go back to Ireland because at least that's relative to us yeah. so we have Bealtaine um which is we have Bealtaine which is Irish for May so Bealtaine is between April 30th and May 1st, and in it is a fire festival. Now, I am going to just admit, I've never heard of this. Born and raised in Ireland, and I'm like, no, it's not Bealtaine, it's Bealtaine, it's May. So no, never heard of this before. So it's a fire festival, and they were Bealtaine, or I could be, it could be Bealtaine, and I could just be like, destroying my own native language. Um, so it okay. really, yeah. <laughs> Well, I know like it's built up, but I'm like looking at how it's spelled and I'm like, eh, eh. All I can think of when I think about Irish is like Leonishka Koromok, oral or the aural or something. And you'd go in and you'd listen to the tape. Oh, yeah. Yeah, aural. But it always started off and it was like Leonishka Koromok. I heard the school do for for remembering that. She had the manliest sounding voice. (laughs) Yeah. to be in school again, never. Actually, they're barely in school as they are. Um, so what do we have here? So the word Beltana originates from the Celtic god Bel, meaning the bright one, and the Gaelic word for Tina, meaning fire. Together, they make bright fire or goodly fire. <laughs> bright fire. That's like my superhero name. Um, and traditionally, bonfires were lit to honor the sun and encourage the sport of Bell and the sun's light to nurture the emerging future harvest and protect the community. And so that's where we have like fire symbolizing so much for mm-hmm. May. So this was the time, Egan, the need for fire. People jump the fire to purify and cleanse, to bring fertility. Couples jump the fire together to pledge themselves to each other. Cattle and other animals were driven through the smoke as a protection from disease and to bring fertility. It just makes me think of that Irish film, was it Into the West, where there was a tato and they had the horse and they were jumping over the fire. And I'm like, I wonder what that said in May. something to do with that. Possibly. And um, so at the end of the evening, the villagers would take home some of the chicken god to start their fires in you so you'd obviously take the fire home set it up in your house and bring that growth home and so there's many festivals for the may queen and i still very predominant in the countryside in england yeah and my mom watches a lot of midsummer murders and brilliant lot yeah and there's i've seen like almost every episode two or three times over yeah that and um murder she wrote classics that theme song is like my childhood (laughs) every time i'm typing at work i'm just like i'm jessica fletcher (laughs) i love her (laughs) 
Oh, she's my homegirl. Oh, she's fab. So it's actually some of the longest running May Queen festivals are still happening in England. Um, so the May Queen is usually a girl, um, a teenager um, who is selected to ride or walk at the front of the parade of May Day celebrations. She wears a white gown to symbolize purity and usually a tiara. Tiara. I just can't. Tiara. You say one Irish word wrong and it's just downhill. Usually a tiara or crown. Her duty is to begin the May Day celebrations. She's generally crowned by flowers and makes her speech before the dancing begins. Certain age group dance around a maypole celebrating youth in the springtime. So you wouldn't get like someone in their 30s way past their prime going, come on, let's dance around. I still got some good years left. According to popular British folklore, the traditional ones had a sinister twist in that the May Queen was put to death once the festivities were over harsh i now no longer want to be the may queen uh the veracity of this belief is difficult to establish but while in truth it just might be an example of anti-pagan propaganda frequent associations between may day rituals the occult and human sacrifice are still to be found in popular culture today like the wicker man so that kind of leads me on to our main topic for today's episode, which was folk art in all its insane glory. Um, <laughs> well, we have to admit as well, we kind of started this yes. whole thing saying that we'd look at like midsummer and like, you know, it was the May Queen and then yeah. we did our research and that happens in June. Yeah, well, uh, God, I mean, like the answers in the title, midsummer, midsummer. Yeah, June. but like still like May like spring started ages ago see that's the thing I looked into and with Midsommar it's more of a Swedish I think it's Mm. called Hagen it's a dance it's the Midsommar festival yeah but I think it just looks so like the May Queen and and I'm sorry if you google May Queen at the moment she comes up Jesus, so, she's everywhere. She's and I think that, that is like the easiest Halloween costume ever. Get a white dress, get a floral headdress. You'd be so cute. You'd be grand. You'd be freezing your ass off, but you'd be grand. We looked it up as well. I actually was making the dinner today and I was like, Mom, <laughs> Google the May Festival and the May Queen, shall will you? And she actually found a lot of stuff back to like Mary, like Yes, that was another thing I came across. I came across so many different ties in mythology, like the Virgin Mary. She is the most purest woman, so she would yeah. be the May Queen or the Mary Queen, like the Queen of the Christians. Yeah. So there were so many ties. It was actually, there was so much more I could have gone into. Oh, there's loads. Yeah. And I was like, this is a finite amount of time and we still haven't even talked about our crazy folklore films. Um, That's what so, we're here for. We will be definitely going like into a lot more detail of Midsommar, like <laughs> possibly in June. Um, I, I was only saying to Grace, I was like, I'd like to do, um, I'd like to do an episode on like really good horror directors and things like Ari Aster, because you can't talk about Midsommar when I talk about Hereditary, I think. And I love I am in love of oh, also fear what he'll do next because mm-hmm. he said he wanted to do something of every genre. I'm like, but you're so good at this. Please don't. But like, hopefully it just gets better and better. Yeah. Yeah. I would also like considering they, some people say Midsommar is like just a really fucked up breakup film um, that I'd love to see his version of a rom-com. Yeah. I imagine people would still have to die. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like some stalkery, I love you, kind of film. Like Valentine. Bunny boilers. Mm. So when or he we... throws it on his head completely and it's like the notebook and it's like Titanic and the most beautiful love stories in the world. And they're like, oh my God. He used horror just to get a name for himself. And then once he got the name, he's like, I'm going to do what I've always What a name. Do. Like oh. if you did do that, imagine you'd just be like, look, mate. Have you seen those? But look at his early work. Mm-hmm. It gives him the kudos to do kind of to take it up where he wants to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we think of folk horror, um, we would normally think of like countryside. It, to me, it just it used to always only ever tie in uh, the Wicker Man, the yeah, original Wicker yeah. Man. And um, there's so much more. There's like Satan's Claw. Um, and there's 
Witchfinder General, there's so many, and they're all again, British made films. So the term first came to prominence in 2010, when Mark Gattis used it as an umbrella theme to describe a number of films in his History of Horror documentary for BBC4, which I've spoken about before. It's a three-parter and it's brilliant. It is, I think you can get it on YouTube. And he also does like history of horror, like throughout Europe and different, like how they, they dealt with it. And it's just, it's so good. Hmm. Mm, but the term was used in the program uh, in a reference to an earlier interview with the director, Piers Haggard for Fangoria magazine in 2004, in which Haggard suggests his own film, Blood on Satan's Claw, made in 1971, that he was trying to make a folk horror film. I honestly thought folk horror as a term had been around since the 60s and 70s. Oh, so did I. I kind of thought it was like, it's like. Whether it was unspoken, mm-hmm. like it was the unspoken term for the, the films, they just didn't say it. I don't know, but I just feel like as if I'm like, not 2004, it had to have been. Yeah, like I have no reason yet. to believe that <laughs> that what you said is wrong, but I feel it's wrong. Because <laughs> I had to look it up twice. I had to, I was like, like no, 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 not 2004. Like, Jesus. Absolutely um, not. So these stories, they don't have to be supernatural. The horror and folk art can often stem from isolation and permission remoteness seems to give way to human depravity. So we had like Midsommar, where it was a contribution to the folk horror subgenre in homage to Wicker Man, which is why now when I think of Wicker Man, I'll also forever think of Midsommar, even though two completely different themes, but they both end up in the same place. Um, So like in Wicker Man, uh, the protagonist, Sergeant Howie, is dispatched to Summer Isle in the course of his duty. But in Midsommar, the main character, Danny, agrees to attend the eponymous Swedish festival in the hope that it will repair her relationship with her boyfriend and more importantly help her come to terms with the deaths of her sister and her parents. She's charmed by the promise of deliverance. She feels like as if this is a whole new leaf that she's going to turn around and that this is going to make everything better for her and like you can even see in the film it's dark it's bleak she's all tears but the minute you reach Midsommar because it's at the point where there's very little nighttime even it's so bright it's so colorful it's like a complete 180 on her life and you can't help but feel buoyed up by that and going oh maybe things will start to turn around so in The Wicker Man, Sergeant Howie's investigation is into a girl's disappearance and he's frustrated because he's battling against the will of an entire community. And for all his bluster about their pagan beliefs, he is conscious that the islanders live by a common and unbreakable faith in their practices. He's forever just like, oh, you're ungodly. You're mm-hmm. like at the very end, he's just singing prayers to kind of battle against their uh, Celtic. In ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in Midsommar, the appearance of a communal unity that seemingly appeals to Danny when she arrives for the Harga. <laughs> I her... feel you. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm right so, there with you, girl. Yes, let's all have, let's all go to Harga for the dance festival. Oh, oh, it was just so nice. It was so bright and sunny and I'd drink whatever that yellow liquid was. So she seemed to have a blast. Let's all just have a dance. And um, so there are a few other connections between the Wicker Man and Midsommar. And um, so there are photographs of the May Queen being featured um, in where the outsiders are staying, both in the original Wicker Man and in Midsommar. And they have a scene with the Maypole in tribute to the festival's pagan heritage. And um, now the remake of the Wicker Man, Excellent. one of our beloved films, uh, it's a little different here where it's centered around a fertility rite. Um, and in both films, Danny and Rowan are both crowned the May Queen. And there's also a connection. I love this part. I was so happy when I came across it with the bear suit in Midsommar. Oh. Where Danny's boyfriend is put in it. Yeah. And obviously in The Wicker Man in the remake, when Edward is trying to find Rowan in the village and he disguises himself in a bear suit to join the festival <laughs> and then punches that woman. That was the best scene of the whole film. And so like whilst you have Midsommar obviously has more of a mirror image to the original Wicker Man, you can kind of see that they have something which ties all three of them together. Um, 
And then just kind of to wrap up on folk horror. So it's it's kind of like the role of folk horror as a subgenre is to unearth the forgotten barbarities and injustices and kind of make us look at ourselves afresh. It's a recurring motif in folk horror that the countryside beckons to the characters as a place of hope. The events often culminate in graphic violence, and that's just a given. Like this is this is still a horror movie. Yeah. Well, and um, so what's more interesting is the way in which these stories show how we're seduced by the idea that the natural world is where we'll find some sort of restoration, enlightenment and peace. And they never work out that way. Yeah. So we both looked at what we both described as like quite bizarre films in the yeah. end. So Grace, what did you look up? So I was looking up after... <laughs> After I realized um, Midsommar happens in June, um, I started to look up um, films that actually happen in spring um, and like around the kind of May folklore and stuff, which is kind of cool because my one actually is to do with the harvest, which kind of then falls into the whole Bialtana thing. Mm -hmm. So it was described as a slasher meets folk horror. And I was like, well, if there is ever a movie that I am going to sit, like look at and go, wow, it's this movie. That's the great thing about subgenres of horror. You can still make a film within that subgenre work to what you really like. Yes. Now, did I really like it? <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you a couple of like, what IMDb and a few other places describe this movie as. And then I'm going to tell you what this movie is. <laughs> so <laughs> it was released in 2004. Actually, on my birthday. There you go. Oh, uh, nice. In 2004. So IMDb, this dramatic feature deals with... No. Ooh. No, this is the IMDb's giving you a twist. This is definitely not the right movie, but I might watch that. <laughs> oh is it better than what you watched? No. It's about a hate crime. Ooh. Ooh. Like, there's a lot of crime in mind, but Jeannie Mackers wasn't that. <laughs> well, I feel majorly unprepared right now. Okay. Right to spring. Kidnappers. AJ Bone, Catherine Randolph encounter a supernatural creature that requires ritualistic sacrifices every spring. Okay, so keep that. That sounds about right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the next one, I'm like making sure I'm not doing the other movie. So Kidnappers Encounter, again, supernatural horror. So that's Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Um on Amazon, I watched this on Prime. So a group of kidnappers um, abduct the daughter of a wealthy socialite and hide out in an abandoned school in the middle of the woods. But feelings of guilt soon overtake the kidnappers, dividing the group. Now, I don't know why I can't find it, but the, the one that I read was that each year from starting many years ago, girls had started started to go missing mm -hmm. and it was always kind of like the the beauty queen or the captain of the cheerleading squad and that this year was no different that mm -hmm. somebody had gone rinse and repeat yes so I was like "Ooh, this is going to be interesting it felt like two short movies that they went right okay we have these two ideas we don't have enough for a full movie. If we put them Merge. together yeah. and we make a really fine string similar to what you would floss with <laughs> to connect them, we might have a movie. The and high exactly speed wedge of the film. Yeah, it's what they did, bizarre. So basically it starts out with these two girls in a bar. Okay. They're talking about the fact that one of the girls is just after losing their company, a huge deal. It's like $15 million. Ooh. And she's like, oh, my God, I feel so bad. And the other friend is like, the company has loads of money, like $15 million is absolutely nothing to them. And it's kind of like within a global business world, like that actually might be a drop in the water to somebody, mm -hmm. to, you know. But it turns out that somebody else has actually been fired for this mistake. 
and she's kind of like I need to tell them I have to tell them it wasn't you know them they don't deserve to be fired and the friend is like you're too nice then you'll get fired and she's like yeah but somebody else's life is now ruined because like I made a mistake there's a a second injustice you know it's it's not just that I may have lost the company this amount of money I've also kind of ruined somebody's career and life in the doing of this just a normal Tuesday you know so then they leave the bar in in every good movie they get into their car and they go to drive home because drink driving isn't a thing in movies no um, so they get into their car, they bump into something, they get out of their car, they're both kidnapped with chloroform and then they're brought to this um, this barn and they're like strung up. So they're both like, you know, um, <laughs> so hanging. So and, casual. Just, so mm. casual, just like hanging out. Hey. Um, so yeah, they're, they're hanging there and... Um, the, the, it's a much older man who comes in and he's like oh you must be clean you must be clean and they're like what the fuck are you talking about and then it starts to cut to this other story so there is this other group of kidnappers so I thought the kidnappers were going to be the kidnappers who kidnapped these girls but it's actually a secondary story completely so they go into this house um, this guy has an inside person who's told them that, yeah, they're at home um, and they can kidnap the daughter and they're going to take her for ransom, right? Mm-hmm. The whole thing is you can kind of tell that there's two, there's a male and a female who are very much together on this. This other guy seems to be a bit on the outside. He's a bit of a dick. Like they're all dicks. They're going to kidnap a child, but they're yeah, yeah. particularly bad. So he's real like, you know, don't fuck this up. And your man is like, why did you bring him in? And she's like, it's okay, honey. Like when we get our million dollars, each will be fine. So uh, they go in, um, they like punch people out and they're like, you know, we're taking your daughter. And they all have, they have masks on and stuff like that. And she's staying in the car because she's the getaway car. And then like the tutor sees the, the, dick guy and so he like smacks her across the head and like brings her out of the car with the child and then like he so the nice right so we have the dick and we have the nice kidnapper right so the and nice, this is two is this the one kidnapping yes so it's right. all the one kidnapping right so you have the dick guy and the nice kidnapper so the nice kidnapper brings the child outside and you know they put her in the back of the car and the dick kidnapper is still in the house and he's like just so you know that I'm serious that I want these two million dollars and the like the husband and the dad is like I can't get you that type of money like and he's like yeah of course you can um he gets a vase right and he puts it up against the the wife's head and he's like to make sure you know that I'm serious and he like shoots her through the vase. And I was like, why, why did you use I, Like to try like, and silence it? it? Yeah. But it was like this really big vase and it was just really awkward, right? So this bizarre thing happens. Then he brings out the tutor and um, throws her in the back of the car. And they're like, why do you have her? And he's like, oh, she saw my face. Like I have to sort her out later. <laughs> So that's fine. So the nice kidnapper rings his brother, who seems to be kind of like the younger brother, you know, isn't that smart? And you're like, you know, you just need to meet the dad for the money. So mm. this is his whole job, right? And you just need to make sure that goes okay. This is your one job. Like, so um then it snips back to the barn. So you've the two girls yes. who are there. The guy comes up, he like, he gets a knife and he like cuts your one all the way down here. And then he lets the blood all come out. And then he throws it down into this like place underneath the barn that is like covered up and locked up and everything. And like there's this like, I imagine like a demon down there, right? So you kind of see something crawling over and he's like, he must be fed, he must be fed. And then he like totally undresses her and you got the feeling that there's you know gonna be something happening and yeah it's all very seedy and it's all gross and the best friend is like what the fuck are you doing like leave her alone 
And then he gets like a horse's head or an animal's head and he puts it on her head and then he starts to wash her and it's all very strange and the best friend is like I'm still here it's okay you're not on your own <laughs> like I wouldn't give a shit no like, you're not the one she can't do that she can't do anything yeah like, you know but somehow she does she does actually get away okay she gets free and she's all like um you know you're a dick <laughs> and she starts to she's about to kill your man mm-hmm. and He's like, it had to happen. It had to happen. The rights of spring and all this stuff, right? Oh, he says that title. Yeah, it's great. It's great when you get it. I love it in a movie. (laughs) And then, but so he's basically saying, look, for the harvest, this has to happen. And he's like, don't let him out. And she's like, what are you talking about? And then the trap door opens and like this monster gets out and she's like, oh, and she runs away. And then the the monster comes and like is actually just a guy in like lots of like hessian fabric mm-hmm. or hessian that's one for grace she'll love yeah. that um and like this mad hood it, it definitely reminds me of something but i can't remember what it is um so then she's running through the forest right and she's like going mad and like she's like and like you know you obviously want to get away from this thing Mm -hmm. and then it cuts back to the kidnappers so the dad is looking for the money and he's obviously been told don't you know don't include the police i don't want any traceable cash and all this stuff so he's ringing his friends and he's like, hey, friend, any chance for half a million? And they're like, of course, gotcha. And yeah. he's like, thanks, buddy. So he gets the money and he goes to the drop off, drop off place. Mm-hmm. And because it's the nice brother who isn't that smart, mm-hmm. he gets the bag and your man gets into the back of the car and he's like, bring me to my daughter. And he has a gun and like, then the brother rings him and it's like, hey, where are you? And he's like, oh, I'm just on my way. And he's like, everything okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, not everything's okay, is it? And he's like, no, it's it's fine, it's fine. And then the dad takes the phone and hangs it up. And then they arrive and he walks in with the bag and they're like, what's wrong? Uh, you're really weird. And then the dad walks in with the gun. It's like, this is a stick up. Oh, I knew your brother was stupid and he couldn't do this, right? So all this stupid stuff is happening. And then it cuts back to your one running in the forest, right? Mm -hmm. And then she gets to the abandoned school where they are. And Mm -hmm. she goes in. So she's like, oh my God, you have to save me. You have to save me. And then she's like, nice kidnapper. And he's like, oh my God, kidnap girl. And it turns out that nice kidnapper is actually the guy who got fired. And the guy, the father is actually the guy who owned the company and kidnap girl is actually the girl who lost the $15 million. So this is a tie, right? Which actually sounds so much cooler than it is, but it just is literally the only thing that ties the whole movie together, right? And then (laughs) she's like, look, we need to get out of here there's like this axe wielding fucking maniac coming after me and they're like no I'm not leaving and she's like all right I'll go I'll go (laughs) and then um like there's been bits in between where the nice kidnapper has been nice as a child that's why I called him the nice kidnapper um and then the um the dick kidnapper is like I'm gonna kill everyone and then your one who is the tutor gets up Mm-hmm. And she's like, bam, 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 with a gun. And it turns out she was the inside person. So it was kind of like, all right, okay. But the only thing is, genuinely, the second he put her in the car, you were like, oh, she's the one who told him. Like, it's obvious. It was mm. kind of not even then. It was like the minute they pulled up and he said, I have somebody on the inside. You knew it was going to be the cheater. Just like, who else? Like- there was nothing that, like, like, <laughs> they were great ideas but like it just didn't come together well like Dakota Fanning was already in this movie about the kidnapping do you know what I mean yeah and like it's been made before and it's been told before and it's kind of done a bit better yeah in its own film and then um I can't even really remember how it ends like I think really made a mark on you I think they just 
probably all died or something. I don't know. Or they killed. Oh, yeah. So they're running away. So nice kidnapper and girl who lost $15 million. They're mm -hmm. running away. And she, like, he's basically, like, sacrificing himself for her. So he's, like, the nicest guy in the world who just kind of got, you know. Did <laughs> she tell him? him that's like, I'm sorry, no. I got you fired? No, I don't think so. I don't know if it was the right time. You know? <laughs> yeah, when you're running for your life, it's not really like, by the way. Yeah, by the by. So you know the way you got fired the last day? Turns out, my mistake. <laughs> one decimal. Um, but <laughs> You carry the one. Yeah. So then he's like, she's getting attacked by like Hatchet Man. And he comes over and he saves her. And then he's like, go, run, run. And he throws his car keys. She runs to get the car keys. She runs away. And I'm like, bitch, I just like lost her <laughs> job. You essentially brought this killer to where he is. And now he has saved you and you're just fucking up. But then she gets kind of a conscience and she's like, oh. <laughs> Maybe I should go back. Can't scare him over twice in the one week. Yeah. So she has a weapon anyway, and she's waiting for the guy to come. And she comes around, she's like swings it, and she's like, Poof. and then she's like, ah. And then, like, good kidnapper is just after being hatched in the stomach, and he's all like, mm. and it's just, um, <laughs> I think it just ends. Thin. Like, of course, it could be more. <laughs> <laughs> I have some I have some goofs yes. from IMDb. So with continuity, right? At around this is <laughs> this is actually when they're running through the woods. Mm -hmm. So at around one hour and two minutes, when the characters are running around the woods, the scene very obviously goes from midnight to early dawn, back to mid <laughs> back to midnight between shots. <laughs> so there's there's corn in it as well. So the harvest is corn. Mm -hmm. so we're kind of with children of the corn so basically it was children of the corn and yeah there was a film with i think dakota fanning was definitely the young girl in it and mm -hmm. she's kidnapped and ugh, look it was two very good films although i know you don't think children's corn was a very good film so i, I just was, think i saw it at the wrong time in my life i was too old for it yeah yeah and i have the emotional and intellectual iq of a 13 year old so yeah that makes sense and um, so the factual errors were corn starks in the northern hemisphere are not over five feet with visible cobs or at or near the uh, venereal oh. equinox and then in the beginning of the movie you see that the date is tuesday march 21st 2008 mm -hmm. 2008 the 21st of march fell on a friday Oh. so these were the only facts that this film had on imdb and i kind of thought if you had to go with those facts tell the everything you need to know about this film yeah yeah wow so, so would you recommend five stars from me <laughs> absolutely brilliant big thumbs yeah. up yeah <laughs> love 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 it and apparently there's another movie out there called rights of spring about it's very crime <laughs> mm. that was released on my birthday <laughs> wow so I saw an equally confusing film. So I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to push on through. Just, go. Yeah, just whoa, chug along. Um, and I saw Ben Wheatley's A Field in England made in 2013. And it was done on a production by Film 4. Um, and I rented it off YouTube. I uh, couldn't just watch it off YouTube because it just wasn't there. Um, or was it? Not sure, but I rented it anyway. Um, it is... You're literally like, I end up having to watch directly afterwards an interview with the director, with Ben, because uh, I didn't know what you were meant to get out of this film. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very art house film in the sense that it's black and white, pure yeah. black and white. Um, it's trippy as fuck. And mm -hmm. you come out of that film knowing less than you did coming in. And okay. I'm like, that's the trifecta of yeah. an art house film to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he takes it all, and so the whole point of it is, is that you are literally you're with four soldiers who are abandoning a battle, and you don't know what the battle is, and you don't know what year it is, but you can kind of guess by their clothing that is like middle ages. So it turns it out like the Three Musketeers. 
Yes. So it's like it's the English Civil War, which I think was around the 1600s. I think it's it is technically meant to be like 1642 or something like that. But again, nothing in that film tells you. And I think there's some mention of Cromwell, to which being a drawhead, we all know about that boy. Um, he was but, not a good kidnapper. No, no, he was not. No, he was. He was a good guy. Yeah. So um, what happened is that so that kind of plays around the 1640s. So it's people are basically deserting the war and some guy was meant to our our lead guy whitehead is tasked by someone who is meant to find this irishman and we don't know like again we know nothing about this we just you're it's a lot of that where you have to really keep up with what's going on because they're not giving you any answers in that sense of the film and that's what the director wanted like you don't know where you are they're not giving any exposition as to tell you what's going on because th- you're just meant to be sitting there with them. Mm-hmm. And so if this was happening in real life, no one would be telling you what's happening. You just. Yeah, I suppose. Be, yeah. So the lead. <laughs> yeah. So the lead guy. Why say is it boy? <laughs> you know what I mean? That. Um, and basically, the, so Whitehead is like the version of the audience. He is very curious. He's like a training to be an alchemist. And he got taken on by a master who gave him like the free reign of his library. So he's paying him in knowledge, he says. So um, he's used to not eating a lot and he can just, he's just very interested in things. Can I interrupt with mm. something about the al- about Alchemist? Mm-hmm. When We Can Travel Again, there's a really great bar in Manchester called Alchemist. And mm. they do amazing cocktails. And we got one that was like a zombie kind of apocalypse cocktail. And it was like, it was deadly. Like there were all syringes and stuff. And you're like doing shots out of syringe glasses. And you could get like this bong one that had like loads of smoke coming out of it. It's like being in Harry Potter. I went to actually, I was in Toronto visiting my husband's um, cousin. And we went to like some witchcraft bar. And like that, it was all the the bottles that came out, like a science lab. It was all like potions. So cool. It was deadly. It also looked like as if you'd walked right into Hot Topic. But <laughs> it was it was just brilliant. And it was funny because his cousin Jillian was like, holy shit, I've been living here for like over a year. And I never met because we were taking a walk. And I was like, what's this place? This looks deadly. It was like Witch's Brew or something. Like, that was the name nice. or something like that. And I was like, we have to go here. And... Um, yeah, so the guy is an alchemist in training and he has been tasked to find an Irish alchemist who was also training with his master, but broke away. But again, we don't find that out until later on. So Whitehead is making sure he's like, oh, don't find me, don't find me, don't find me. As for this guy and the guy who is looking after him, some mercenary is like, I'm going to kill you. You've sent us on a wild goose chase and now we're a part of this battle. But the guy ends up getting killed. So he runs away and he bumps into some guy who's kind of helping him out. And then they really quickly meet up with another two deserting soldiers and so they're kind of like f this i don't want to die i you know because again in a civil war you're like you're fighting your own you know they're like friend or foe and they're like we're all friends here we're all countrymen um so one of the the guy who originally helps whitehead his name is cutler and he's like there is a bar not like an alehouse not too far away where we can get some food and i'm buying and so they're all like well hell yeah like they're all filthy after god knows when they last saw a bed or anything so they're like yeah let's go have some drinks and and be friends so of course they're walking through titular fields and I have to say, someone even points out, they're like, where is this alehouse? All I see are fields. fields. And so they're all just talking, getting to know each other. Um, and again, like they're kind of, the soldiers are viewing Whitehead as like, oh, you're a bit educated and you're not a soldier. He's a very religious man as well. So they're like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I've been tasked by my master and I do whatever he asks me to do. Um and uh, so Cutler has his own camp not too far away. So he is cooking them like a, a stew and he gets some lo- uh, nearby mushrooms and adds them in. And Whitehead doesn't eat because he's like, oh, I'm not, I don't get hungry like when everyone else does and I'm okay. And so he, he knew. Mm, so he doesn't eat next you know you're just like because you know that this is a psychedelic film that's like a big drug trip. Mm-hmm. So the other two soldiers are tripping balls 
and, and then there's like this big scene where they have to pull a rope and it's like a long scene um and basically like Whitehead is forced by gunpoint by Cutler to do it because he's not tripping so he can't be easily persuaded into pulling the rope so again I was very confused by this and during the interview um the director Ben had said that there's he had read up something about mushroom circles and leading a rope to pull a person out of being inside the mushroom uh, circle so you need four men to pull them out and if you are inside that circle it's a magical realm where time is different and this gave us O'Neill who's the Irish alchemist um, that Whitehead is tasked in finding because he's meant to bring him back to justice for his master but um, O'Neill is like nah man I'm not going back <laughs> um, okay yeah and so he is also like O'Neill is like there is treasure somewhere in this field and says to Whitehead like you are better at divination so like finding stuff than I am um so he basically O'Neill is like well you're not tripping balls so I'm just gonna have to straight up capture you so he hands the two other soldiers uh, shovels and he's like whenever Whitehead finds it you two are tasked to dig and Cutler is basically holding them all uh with like by the gun so he's holding all the gun wings like do the work and I just remember now there's like in about four times throughout the film there's this random scene where they're all doing they're all like holding a pose like as if it's for a painting and it might have something to do with what they're just about to do in the film but it's again it's like it's very arty like they're just holding a yeah. pose like as if it's one of those old style painting like a tableau and then it just goes into them like it comes from nowhere it doesn't even transition and you're like okay right <laughs> right I, it's only an hour and a half long this film but I swear to god it's just like I like many people are like it involves multiple viewings and you're just like well I've only got to watch this once before I can talk about it for the podcast so here we go um so as I said Whitehead should have been tripping so he's not um so O'Neill they take them to O'Neill has like his own camp set up and there is a really weird scene that comes up uh O'Neill takes Whitehead into his tent and you just hear horrific screams coming from Whitehead oh no and the two soldiers are made to kneel outside and they're cringing and I immediately thought holy shit he's just raping him because O'Neill had stated that he had found, he wasn't going back to the master. He had found land, piece of land of his own that he's taking back from the English as an Irishman. And he says, I'm going to rape a bit of this land. Ooh. And then on his piece of land, because the screams are awful. And one of the soldiers says, what this uncivilized party is missing is the company of women. So it just leads you to believe that I, I felt like as if he was trying to break Whitehead mentally because he couldn't get him to be hallucinating and he needed him to lower down some walls so he can use this divination power to find the treasure. So I did actually look it up because I remember thinking, going, it can't just be me who thinks that this is what's yeah. happening. Yeah. And I'm not. But again, people are like, oh, well, it could be torture. It could be mental torture because his clothes are still in, in one piece. Um, but Whitehead comes out of the tent and he's just absolutely covered in ropes. And in the end, O'Neill had, it's like a leash. It's just as he's coming out of the tent, O'Neill isn't behind him, but you just see at the end of like, after a good few meters, O'Neill is holding onto the rope. But Whitehead has this like depraved smile on his face and the actor holds it for the entire scene coming up. And it's like, you just see the guy Cutler is holding them at gunpoint. It slowly moves past him. And he's just like, he's scared. And the actor's so good at portraying that, what the fuck happened to you kind of look. Mm -hmm. But then there's this weird, it's almost like Benny Hill. It's like you hear music <laughs> of like, <laughs> yeah, because they're running around the field and Whitehead is just leading them because he is looking for the treasure. And he finally just stops and he's like, treasure. And so O'Neill gets the other two guys to dig. And um, then it all kind of breaks down. They're digging. Whitehead kind of, he keeps seeing this black 
spot in the sun, a huge black spot. It actually reminded me of the way a Guinness is being poured and the way it floats up because it's this, oh. it's like a moving, it's a pure circle, but inside of it, it's just all moving. So it just reminded me of a pint of Guinness. Is it um, a Guinness propaganda? Well, yeah, I mean, I could have done with a pint after all that just mm-hmm. to help maybe put all the ideas together. And black and white, black and white, you know. There you go. The film, the drink. It was all Arthur. This was sponsored by Guinness. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Whitehead kind of just walks away and he kind of goes off into um, some trees and stuff. He just, he's like, I don't know whether he's just truly broken because even O'Neill gets him to drink some wine and he's like, you may have broken me, but you won't make me break my oath. And then after a while, like oh, he, Whitehead vomits up all these um, after drinking the wine the little ruin stones and you're like where did that come from and Whitehead's like I've never even seen those before I didn't ingest them so it's again and he's like I'm going to go read these in my tent and when he comes out uh Whitehead is gone and mm-hmm. the two men fought amongst each other when um over just something or nothing um but then Cutler accidentally shoots one of the men dead um so now your man is like, O'Neill says, right, well, Cutler, you're now going to have to take his place. So Cutler feels like as if, oh, I thought I was your right-hand man and now I'm I'm no better than one of the prisoners. Um, so <laughs> O'Neill thinks that Whitehead knows where the treasure is also somewhere else. So he goes to go find him. Um, Cutler is digging and comes across what he thinks is treasure, but it's a skull. And he's like, there is no treasure here. Um, this guy is just as messed up as you are. So O'Neill shoots him and then there's like, He's trying to find Whitehead, who has now ingested some mushrooms for reasons known only to Whitehead. Okay. Maybe he thinks it's going to give him some powers. Um, there is a shoot-off between the last prisoner soldier, Whitehead, and O'Neill. And the soldier gets shot and killed. And O'Neill gets shot and killed by Whitehead. And then it's like Whitehead was always a coward. He was a coward running away from the war. And then now, after everything he's been through... Uh, he shoots O'Neill like he's never even fired off a gun before and he's not a coward and he puts back on a cloak and all that and he actually walks back in towards he finds the battle and the start of the film is he had dug through a hedge scurrying away and he kind of goes back through the hedge it almost looks like the same hedge and he's coming back out a new man but then when he comes back and he's standing on top of the field where the battle is the two dead soldiers are with him so yes so that's another thing where people are thinking that they're all dead and they're all in purgatory and Mm. yeah and that it was obviously you know they had to go through these trials before they could go to heaven or hell depending on what you were doing in the war um so yeah it's just you're not sure if it's purgatory or just a really bad day i just um yeah, like the director as well uses a lot of fast cutting scenes. I and mean, he said it was something that as a director, he used to say experiment with back in the 90s and sort of like, so it is like there's a scene, it looks like a Chemical Brothers uh, music video. It's just uh-huh. like all trippy. It's like, it is really good. But it's funny, like three of the guys who were in that film were from British comedy TV shows. One of them I saw at the very start and he dies really quickly, but he was in the Mighty Boosh. Um, yeah, the guy playing Whitehead was one of the lead characters in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And the guy playing O'Neill was in an episode of Spaced with Simon Pegg back in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. So the fact that I saw three guys who were from what I'd seen before in comedy shows, I kind of thought that this would be a dark comedy. And there were a few scenes where it was a bit like, ha, you know, like, <laughs> well, the kind of like dry British humour I, I found was, was quite funny and um, one of the guys he's more of a character after when the soldier ends up dying I thought he was hilarious in it um, but it is still a real like you know kind of like it's a harsh hard film to watch kind of in that sense and there's also a lot of nothing that happens they are walking through a field they're talking um, but yeah so it's one of those ones where nothing happens everything's happening and then um mix in some trippy scenes and the fact that they're on mushrooms like the director said he wanted to be at most like what it would feel like for you to be on the mushrooms too 
Now, as people who aren't particularly, we never did mushrooms. No, no psychotropic drugs for us. Did it make you feel like you wanted to go and take mushrooms? Hell no, no, because I don't need to be starting to see everything like closing in on itself and opening back up. It just, it did remind me, I'm like, I swear this is a Chemical Brothers music video. Yeah. It's out there. Um, But it is a good film. And, but you, it makes you like what the director wanted was for there to be discussions afterwards. And you can't help but do it because after just the first viewing, you're not sure if you like it or not. (laughs) <laughs> and you're not sure as to what's going on so yeah okay. um, so multiple watches definitely I'd say two because after the first one I did YouTube like some um interviews with the director to kind of get what he was trying to achieve with the film so kind of once you get a bit of an understanding as to what his like what his uh, aspirations were for it then yeah you can kind of work from there and maybe with a second watch you're like okay it worked yeah but again it's only an hour and a half and it was something that I've been meaning to watch for a while yeah I remember when I was doing out the kind of movies and I had sent you over the list and you were like Mm -hmm. oh actually I really wanted to watch that so like you know it did it tied it it was kind of one of those I can tick that off and that's kind of why I didn't do yes so quite a good film uh, definitely some homework needs to be done on it, which might not be for everybody after you watch a film. This could be a bit like, oh, it's too much effort. I'm not going to yeah. do it. But if you're happy to have a debate-worthy film, yeah, that all right. Fabulous. So our 100 horror movie this week was Ginger Snap. So two death-obsessed sisters, outcasts in their suburban neighbourhood, must deal with the tragic con- consequences when one of them is bitten by a deadly werewolf. So this is one that always kind of comes up with like real cult status. I kind of feel yeah. like you either love it or you hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot to like in it. It's very, um, it's female-led, like it's proper badass with the women and even like the sister Bridget like she does she's so smart and she mm-hmm. works like she works it out and she's just like not willing to abandon her sister Ginger yeah. uh, like they have such a great relationship uh, as sisters like they're just like besties almost um because they have no choice but to be you know each other's friend as well as sister like you could just imagine sometimes in horror movies where like siblings don't get on yes really well but this one is like no they're not going to be assholes to each other even when ginger gets attacked and starts to turn she's pretty nasty to her she does it but it's not an immediate Mm. boom i'm cool i'm sexy i'm gonna turn my back on you you can see it building yeah it's a kind of progression yeah it's not out of nowhere yeah i knew that this was kind of a coming of age movie Mm -hmm. kind of like the whole period thing Mm -hmm. um I didn't expect it to open the way it did with yeah. um, with the kind of like suicide, the suicide yeah, and the like cutting. Now she doesn't actually cut herself, no. but but I did think she was going to. I'm like, yeah, wow, this is a hard by that. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh wow. Um, and also you have that kind of um, when she's walking down the corridor, it's real mm. like Jennifer's body. Yeah. And, um. So. I don't know if this was 100% for me. Mm-hmm. It was, I kind of felt like it was an extended and possibly like PG-13 version of like, are you afraid of the dark, goosebumps mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, the reason, <laughs> the reason why I couldn't get into this at all was because, do you remember the film Cinderella story? Yeah. With Hilary Duff. Um, oh yeah. So yeah. there was another. Wait, I know film. it. I just haven't seen it. Yeah. But, yeah. So there's even there was a follow-on to that called another C- Cinderella story. Of course. Um Selena Gomez. Okay. Absolutely fantastic. And I've seen it about 74 times. Okay. But the two ugly stepsisters in that are Ginger and Bridget. So they Seriously? play these sisters in a movie in 2008 where they're these like really stupid. Mm-hmm ugly sister role yeah or Cinderella. that's just cemented in your brain so as I, I just couldn't are. get into it I was like this is this is really weird yeah really weird 
Um, so all I could think of was, <laughs> was another Cinderella story the whole way through it. <laughs> yeah, Brilliant. I was like, no. No, not for me. I loved the character of the mother. Like, especially at the very end when she's like, I'm just going to let gas build up in this house and set a match. I'm like, damn, she yeah. loves her daughters. She was real. like, have you ever seen uh, with Ryan Reynolds and Anna Faris? Oh, yeah. And yeah. The mother's, the mother's just really sweet. She's like, Salmon, it's such a beautiful color for bedrooms. <laughs> She, she is you just, so much of her. She was just this real ditzy kind of like. And then yeah. when they're talking about Ginger getting her period, she's like, the girls are three years late getting their period. <laughs> and she bakes a cake for it. Oh, it's so cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was. It was just so bizarre. And I have to say, like, the way they go about it is they tie it in so well with that like with the coming of age for a woman yeah. and I have to say it's done well because you could have just you could see it going like oh how well is this going to be taken is this just going to be you know but like I have to say the female characters are really strong the male characters a bit like uh, like mm-hmm. Mo and then Sam you're just like I don't know I didn't really like them and uh, Sam was just like a bit he went along with things a little too easily for me and then Mo just turned out to be like a dick of a teen. Well, I suppose just a dick of a teenager. Yeah, I liked Sam. I thought he was kind of cute. Oh yeah, no, cute as a button. But I was just thinking, like, and character like, was really helpful. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I'm like, no questions, no questions asked. No, no, you just got along with this. Okay, first. Yeah, yeah, no, I think he was kind of cool. I liked him, um, but yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah, I just kept seeing. Um, them in a Cinderella story and a lot of dog violence which really put me off yeah not for dog lovers no no not at all not at all but yeah I am so I would I would recommend it for saying that you've seen it yeah and there are sequels to it which we have not seen so if you really wanted to there's a whole trilogy out there if Mm -hmm. you really like the first one just keep our going And like the girl who plays Ginger is like a kind of horror movie, like yeah, she's in Freddy vs. Like, Jason. And you said you've seen her in another film that you watched, American Mary. Mm. Which, if you want to see her in an unreal horror movie, go watch American Mary. That I, film is unbelievable. Mm. It's in that genre of which I think is a really cool one now, which was uh, good for her. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Yeah, it's in that world. She's also in that the um the TV show Lecter, the Hannibal Lecter one. Ooh. Oh, Hannibal, that's what it was. Uh, yeah, um, she's she's in that near the end of like I think the third season. She's in that for a few episodes. It's cool. Very cool. Mm. Very cool. And next it's... week, I think what are we watching? Is it Cherry Falls? Oh no, I don't think that was on the list. I think I just made. That did we up. just make that up? Yeah, no, I did. I did. I'll I rewatch it eventually. It's Cherry Falls this week, and she was like, "Oh, okay." And I was like, "I can't find it anywhere." And then I was like, "Oh no, it's not. Um, it's not at all. It's not ever it. Cherry yeah. Falls." Um, I'll check and see. Do we have? Do we have one? Or are we just going to make it up again? Um, yeah, it's definitely not Cherry Falls. Anyway, <laughs> um, good film though. Well, good, goodish, good film. I've never seen it. Have you not? No. It's like reverse, you know, like when they say um, that to survive, you know, one of the rules for her is you, the mm-hmm. virgin survives. This is someone who is got it out for virgins and to the only people who are being killed are virgins. So no. basically there's this whole thing in the school where they're like, oh my God, we all need to lose our virginity or else we're going to get killed. So it like culminates in a big party at the end of the film where they're all trying to lose their virginity. It's, I don't think this could get away with being made again, but it was only made in the early 2000s. Okay. With Brittany Murphy. I love um, and, Murphy. Yeah. I love her. It was, um, it was a very good film. Well, um, it was... It was it was good. Good for the time. I I haven't seen it with um, grown up eyes. I watched it as a teenager. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Next week is Reanimator. <gasps> Ooh. Mm-hmm. This is another one that I haven't seen but have heard so much about, and it's probably one of those things where, as we do a podcast on horror, they're like, "Can't believe you haven't seen it." I'm like, yeah. <laughs> be prepared, people. There There's a lot we haven't seen. Are that too we many see. horror movies that I got. 
I watched all the ones where people were like, that's dog trash. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's like one of my favorite genres. But have not really seen a lot of the, well, no, I have now of getting better, but like I started out going, no, I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, oh, I heard about it, but I haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, now, fear not, we shall watch Reanimator. There you go. So join us next week and we will, yeah, we'll be talking about Reanimator. Um, as we said, we have a new YouTube channel. So um, we have a link tree on our Instagram page. So mm-hmm. you can find us there. Um, I find it hard to find us on YouTube. So hopefully it'll be easier through that. Yes. Um, so just go to Instagram and because you're home with an underscore in between each word. And if you're not using Instagram and want to find us for our podcast, we are on most platforms on Because You're Home. And we also have a Facebook account on Because You're Home podcast. Yes. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Just like full faces for it. (laughs) It's like host or something. (laughs) You'll just see like... Ah, I don't like this one.